на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небес и плывут на зеленом ковре стадиона. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast, courtesy of RussianFootballNews.com. Of course, your latest take on all things Russian football. We, of course, have had the uh, World Cup squad announcement this week. Stanislav Cherchesov, the uh, the coach, of course, has picked his uh, provisional squad of 28 players. So we will go over that with our guests. And, um, of course, we're going to talk a bit about host cities as well, because uh, one of the guests who is on the panel, who I'll reveal shortly, uh, has been to quite a few of the host cities. So we'll get his take on things. Joining me, of course... Uh, is a late substitute actually we've got a toka thelaid the website editor how are you sir hey thomas i'm glad to be back how are you good stuff i'm very well thank you and uh the guest who are who i was hinting at earlier hasn't been on for a while i'm not sure what you is, would you say coming back out he's been out with let's say i don't know a serious knee injury for a while i think uh, and that's andrew <laughs> flint it'd be a cruciate ligament injury if we're talking about russian football this season so yeah i'll call it cruciate ligament yeah well certainly, but it's all but all well now <laughs> yeah we'll certainly get into that with the world cup squad of course so I think what we'll do is uh, I'll name the, the squad by section. So we've got goalkeepers, defenders, midfielders, fours. And then, of course, we do have the reserve players, which I'll go into. But let's let's start with the goalkeepers then. Um, let's say, let's go. <laughs> Igor Akinfev, uh, we've got Sazan Janayev, Vladimir Gabulov, uh, Andriy Lunyov. So I'll come to you first, Toka. What are we thinking of that goalkeeper lineup? Uh, if you, I mean, I'll, I'll throw the question at you. Most people are questioning the Vladimir Gabulov call-up. Yeah, I mean, I think it was it was pretty expected. We have Akinfev, obviously, the first choice. Lunev, uh, the second choice. And then, yeah, Shachishov went for experience. It, it's quite obvious. I mean, Shashanov and, and Kabulov, both good keepers, both very experienced. Kabulov had a, he had a good season in the autumn when he played for Arsenal Tula, but then he went to, to Belgium, and it seems that he has been sort of in and out of the team. A, a bit controversial, but... But but I mean he he's mostly in the squad because he knows Chatterjee very well. They, those two they go a long way back and he trusts him. And I mean personally, I like having sort of a young goalkeeper as a third choice, someone who can maybe learn a bit from the experience. But I understand that Chatterjee went with one of his old guys, someone he trusts completely. So I mean, I think it. I think it's a fine choice to to include Gabulov. He's probably not going to play, but his experience can perhaps help the rest of the squad. Yeah, and Andrew, what are your thoughts on not only Gabulov but the the keepers in general? Yeah, I, I agree with Toker on on most of what he says. To be honest, because Lunyov picks himself as second choice for me. Um, um, the thing is, with with third cho- the third goalkeeper in the squad. Um, as far as I understand, I think only five countries have ever used all three goalkeepers in a World Cup tournament. So it's not really for the playing side of things. So it's either for the experience, as in gaining the experience, or if they are an experienced player like Gabalov, um, being a senior member of the travelling staff, if you like. Um, because that's really what a third-choice keeper at the World Cup does. So, um, yeah, I, I'm kind of... I, I don't have strong feelings about it because it's relatively inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. But um, I, I personally, I would rather have seen a young keeper gain some experience of being around the national team. Um, but then again, there's a lot of pressure, host nation. Um, you know, Russia have underperformed in major tournaments in recent years, at least. So perhaps they're just being ultra conservative. So 
it's not a lot wrong with it, but personally, I would have gone um, in a different direction. Would you actually? Reckon- I think I think the most the most controversial inclusion in, among the goalkeepers is uh, is actually Lunyov. I mean, he hasn't played a game. Um, he has only played a handful of games this spring because of his injury, and his last. I mean, he, okay, he did play the last game against uh, Scar, but apart from that, I mean, he got injured in April, sat out for a lot of games. So, how good is his form, really? I mean, it's it's a bit difficult with the, with a goalkeeper who who has been sitting out for so long and then going to the World Cup. I I could be a bit concerned with uh, with his condition, especially. I, I mean, he's probably not going to play, but if he gets thrown into the fire, then he better be ready and. I'm not quite sure if, if that's the case with his recent injury. I'm right in thinking you were a goalkeeper back in the day, weren't you, Toki? Yeah, back in the days. Yeah, back in, back in those long days. But um, you say about the injury, uh, and you also... But actually, you are right. If he does get thrown in, so are we perhaps even thinking that he might not be the number two for that reason? Ah, it's, no, I, you know what? It's, oh, sorry, Toki, go on. No, no, no. I was, I was just about to say, I, I definitely think he's, he's, uh, he's second choice after Akin Fifth. That... I mean, I, I can't really see either Desanov or, or Gabalov being the second choice. I think they are only there as, as deputies for him as, as the third choice. But uh, but it is it is a tough one because, uh, I mean, that there's definitely the opportunity or the chance of him having to play and then he, he needs to be ready. He needs to be at 100%. Yeah, I, I think I think that's actually a good point that you, you raised there, Toko, about the, the injury. And... Um, I, I mean, all of that considered, I would still have Lunyov as a second choice because I think he's he's had a a very positive season before um, before the spring, and you know, let's not forget that's the bulk season. Um, and it, you know, it's not quite the same as if he was an outfield player for me about coming back from injury, because unless it is um, unless he's got to be you know running up and down the pitch, keeping track of some of the fastest most skillful players in the world, then really, for me, it's, it's as long as his reflexes are, are still good enough and his injury hasn't affected him for that, then I, I, I don't see it being a problem. But it, actually, all of this, all of this we're talking about, realistically, there's such a slim chance of it actually coming into play anyway. So I don't think we need to worry um, too much. But yes, I, I see him as second choice and quite honestly, third choice out of um, uh, out of the other two. I really, I really don't care who it is, to be honest, at this point. Yeah, he might. He'll probably only play three games anyway. But that's Russia's chances. I'm sure we'll get onto those later. Um, so, looking at the, obviously we'll see one get dropped. So, who are we thinking will get dropped here, Toka? I think it'll be uh, Akinfeev, Gabalov, and, and Lunyov in, in the final squad. So they'll drop uh, Jasanov. Uh, I, I think simply Akinfeev and Lunyov, of course, the superior goalkeepers, and, and Gabalov has this uh, history with Jasanov, which give him the advantage and makes him he also Gabalov has more experience from the big stage he has been playing more with the national team in the past he has played some big games he has been the first choice on the national team even when uh, when Akinfif was was injured so I think it makes a lot of sense to use his experience from the stage and and have him as a third uh, third choice goalkeeper would you go along with that Andrew I take it Gabulov's going to go instead of Janayev yeah I, th- I think it seems likely um uh, to be honest, I was surprised Gabriloff was caught up in the first place, but seeing as he has been um, having played in, well, not played much, to be honest, but being in Belgium for 
what most of the season, the fact that he's still being called up says, well, basically repeating what Soka said, that he has at least some faith from Chichesov. So therefore, for that reason, I think probably he will go. And you would think that if we're going to trust Chichesov in one position, it's going to be the goalkeeper position, of course, with former goalkeeper. Let's look at the defenders now. This is, of course, where Russia have had a lot of problems. We've had uh, Viktor Vasin and uh, Georgi Zhiki, of course, out of the World Cup. Uh, so really two of the starting centre-halves. So real trouble here. But let's get real off the defenders. So we've got Mario Fernandes, of course, a Brazilian defence. I'm sure we'll talk about that one a bit. Uh, Vladimir Granat, uh, Ruslan Kambolov, uh, Fyodor Kudyrov. Kudryashov, sorry about that. Uh, Ilya Kutupov, uh, Roman Neustadter, Konstantin Rausch, Andrei Semyonov, and Igor Smolnikov. Uh, of course, I've just realised uh, I've got the wrong squad here. We've got Kambolov down there. He has, of course, been replaced by Sergei Ignashevich, who's come out of uh, retirement. So, Andrew, whichever point you want to start on, there's quite a lot of talking points of the defence there. Yeah, that's that, that's the thing, isn't it? There are a lot of talking points because this is the area that we're most concerned. Well, I'm certainly most concerned about. Um, I'd start with Ignashevich, to be honest, because I when when Campbelloff was um, when Campbelloff was injured, and we thought, right, who's going to replace him? I I was kind of not surprised that it came to this that one of the Beretuskis or Ignashevich was called in. Actually, I, I'm a bit surprised that Ignashevich is the one who who has. Um, being called up simply because of his age and the fact that he, um, well, I mean, he may not even play beyond this this summer. So, basically, what I'm I'm thinking is though, Ignashev has the experience. Obviously, he's the highest. He's got the most uh, appearances for Russia, and he's obviously been around the squad for so long. Um, it will be seamless for him to come back into the squad. Um, but a lot of people have been saying, especially on social media, that. Um, oh, this is a joke. Somebody who will be 39 by the end of the tournament is in the squad. They're missing the point entirely. He is the best option we have left after all the injuries. Now, we can sit here debating the lack of good, young Russian centre-backs all day long. The fact is, we need somebody in the squad, and Ignashevich is there. second point I'd make is that Ignashevich basically isn't likely to play at all. Um, so I don't really see where the, where the concern is. But if he is called upon... Like I say, he's got the experience. Um, I mean, I'm not entirely sure what's, what the three is going to be for Chichesov at the moment. Um, Roman Neustadt has never quite looked settled when he's played his what, five, six games since getting his Russian nationality. Um, but it looks like he might have to be one of those three at the moment. Um, so it, it is an area for concern. The back three that Chichesov likes to play means we need that extra centre-back that some other countries wouldn't be selecting in their starting lineup. Um, I'm just thankful that at least Mario Fernandes is back from his injury and is looking you know, up to match fitness. So uh, it's a lot of concerns, um, but Ignashevich for me is not one of those concerns. Yeah, Toka, let's touch on Ignashevich a bit because uh, I seem to remember when the, I think when the German squad came out earlier this week, a Russian journalist tweeted something along the lines of, you're all complaining about Ignashevich, but the world champions think it's okay to select several players who've been relegated to the second Bundesliga. So I'm not quite sure. And I tend to go, Andrew says, like, they're missing the point. And I would tend to agree with him. I think Ignashevich, and we can, as Andrew, I'm just going to repeat what Andrew says, um, we talk about the centre-halves all day long and how we haven't got enough young ones, but that point is now irrelevant because we need a squad now. So, I mean, um, do you think the Ignashevich call is right or would you would you have perhaps gone with something a bit more... Because Ignashevich isn't going to play a bit more left field. 
I'm uh, I'm just surprised it took this long for Ikashevich or one of the Beresutskis to turn to the national team. I'm, I've been expecting one of them to to unretire ever since the Euro. So I thought, yeah, that was about time. Uh, I think it makes perfect sense because let's be honest, the the, the Russian central defenders are they're quite awful actually. I mean, there's there's uh, there's really a lack of international class on this position and. And getting Ignashevich, who might not be the best player anymore, but at least he has the experience. He has proven himself at this level. I think it it makes perfect sense, and I actually think he could he could go on and 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 play more than you would actually expect at the World Cup. Um, so I, I think it it makes perfect sense, and and I'm I'm really worried about this central defense. Actually, I think Romanoistad is a good player, but he's not really he hasn't played that much with the national team. He I don't think he has the best relations to the rest of the players. Um, and then we have all these. We have Kutupov from Spartak, who he he he's a running disaster basically. And then we have the three Rubin Kassan players. We have three players from the team who finished tenth in the league or something like that. So, I mean, it, it it's not really a central defense that screams class and and great performances. Um, so it's quite worrying, I think. Uh, and and yeah, I think Ignashevich calling him up. I, I think he could perhaps guide his teammates and lead them both on and off the pitch. So having his experience and his presence in the squad makes perfect sense to me. So, I mean, Andrew, who are you expecting to start? Let's say, let's, I mean, we're pretty obvious he's going to go with the back three, the three centre-halves. Who are you expecting to fill those three spots then? Because, like I said, two of the players who would usually expect to start in that back three, two of them are out. So we're in a real conundrum here. Could Ignashevich even start in centre-half? Well, I mean, I've, I've been toying with this idea in my head. I don't expect him to start, but I can, I'm actually just ever so slightly coming round to the idea. And I'm not saying this should be certainly in all the games or even for all of a game, but you could almost give him slightly more of a sweeper role behind two slightly more mobile centre-backs, but I, I still wouldn't do it. I think it's too much, a little bit too much of a risk. So what I expect, really, um, I expect Kudyashov, um, to play. I think Neustadt will end up playing, although I agree with Toka, I don't believe there's enough international class for for the long term. But that's the problem. We we don't have long term we don't have long term timescale to sort this out. So Kudrashov um and Neustadt I expect and uh, possibly Semyonov, but whether he makes the, the final cut um we'll we'll have to wait and see. But that's rough. that's what I would go along with. I just wouldn't play Kutubov. I think the guys, like Toka said, are walking disaster. I, I've, I've had this campaign against him, and I, I was going to say you are, you are on record of saying this quite a bit. <laughs> well, I mean, it just um, he, like someone else said, I've spoken to on social media about a month or two ago, that he needs someone else alongside him to make him look good, and that concerns me um, because Russia don't have somebody of that class and experience to do that. Um, but even if even if they did, why should you need someone else to make you look good? If you're going to be playing in a World Cup, um, to be that good, you need to you need to at least be confident enough in your positioning, which I don't think he is. Um, but again, you, you come back to the Sergnikashevich thing. Perhaps that might be what Chichesov is thinking. Even that if he plays Sergnikashevich alongside Kutubov, Kutubov's got the the well, relative youth, uh, a bit more pace, Ignashevich can can dictate where the defence is positioned. It might actually, possibly, work out. But um, I'm just I'm just hoping that Kutubov doesn't get on the pitch, basically. 
Toka, perhaps, I mean, I know he plays um, fullback generally, but could be perhaps see Mario Fernandez move to centre half? No, I think that would be a strange, a strange choice. I mean, of course, that could you could fit both him and, and Smolder Cup in the um, in the starting lineup. But I think what Mario Fernandez is one of very few players in the defense and in the in the Russian squad in general that has to really uh, that has a level that comes close to what is expected and what is needed to perform at this World Cup level. So I think it would be a big mistake to move him away from his uh, preferred position to to close gaps elsewhere. I think. I agree with Andrew when uh, when he says Neustadt and Kutyasov will start, but actually I think I think Ignashevich will will take the last spot. I I think he has played despite his his high age. I think he has played a really good season for for Siska and, and a few weeks ago when they met when they met Senate, I think in my opinion he was perhaps the best player on the field. So he's still proving himself. I think he's still he's still playing at a quite high level and considering the competition he has in the squad, I I think he should start and and I think he will because. We all know what he can do, and and there's really no reason not to trust him. Especially because this this Russian team is not a team that press high on the field. So uh, I don't think he'll get. Ex- I mean, his lack of pace won't get exploited that that much, because Russia will probably sit back and then once they get the ball, move forward. So it's not like he'll go in a lot of running duels. And if if that happens, he'll still have two other central defenders to help them out. So I think I think his experience and and his positioning will. Will, will will be crucial for Russia and, and I think he'll he'll take the last the last spot in the central defense if they play with with three players as I think we all expect. So just uh, before we move on to the midfield, a quick sort of combined question for the both of you, um, Andrew. In terms of the defense, then let's 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 call it back five if we include the fullbacks. Then what are you expecting to be that back five, and are you expecting which players you're expecting to drop from this preliminary squad? Well. Yeah, I mean, with the back three, like we said, it will be one of whatever Toker or I said, whether Ignashevich gets the nod or not. So, okay, let's just say Ignashevich then um, for the experience. Right back, Mario Fernandez, of course. And for me, I would like to see Konstantin Rausch um, simply because he doesn't quite have the ingenuity of Fernandez, but he's got the athleticism. Um, And he will be, you've got to have two athletic wingbacks if you're going to compete all game long because they offer the width um you know i i would have him i don't i don't really see what dimitri kambarov would add to the side he'll fill the gap he'll he'll be competent but i i don't see him as an effective player in the sense that roush is so i would have roush and uh, and fernandez um so ignatiev i think deserves to be in the final squad um so yeah but simply because he's got versatility he's had good form and Smolnikov. So they would be my. F- and Andrew is. Oh, I think he's back. Andrew? Hello? Yes, I can still hear you. I think we just about caught your back five there. So, um, Toko, same question to you then. Yeah. Um, I, I think, of course, we just covered the central defence. I think uh, Manuel Fernandez. Uh, Mario Fernandez, of course, uh, is the obvious choice on the right back. The interesting tries is, is the left back for me. I mean, he has he has three different options. He has uh, Rausch, he has um, Yuri Shirkov, and then of of course we have um, yeah we have Kudryashov as well who can play it. Um, I, th- I I wasn't that impressed with uh, with Konstantin Rauf uh, when he played for for Dynamo this spring. I have to be honest, uh, and Komparov as well. I mean, I I think actually Rausch would be cut from the squad. You simply don't need that many 
options on the left on the left back. Uh, it goes against him that he doesn't quite have the international experience as um, Shirkov and Kombalov, who has been part of the national team for a long time. Um, and I think I, I seem to think Chesterchev trusts both of them more than him. I hope he'll place with uh, with Shirkov on on the left back. I mean, I, I think it depends on who the opponent is against Uruguay. Probably he'll have to play with someone who's a bit better at defending. But I think Shirkov will fit very well for the games against. Egypt and, and Saudi Arabia, where we can expect Russia to be more in attacking, controlling position, uh, in position. So yeah, I'd expect uh, Shirkov to be the starter. Speaking of Egypt, by the way, Salah versus Ignashevich is going to be a fantastic battle, obviously. Um, and you've you've led us on quite nicely there, Toka, with the midfielders, because Zhirkov is officially listed as a mid as a midfielder. So I'll just give you the rest. Um, that's Denis Cherisha from Villarreal. That's uh, one we'll get on to, which is interesting. Uh, Zagoyev. Uh, Yerok, Alexander Yerokin, Yuri Gazinski, Alexander Golovin, Dala Kuziaev, Anton Miranchuk, Alexander Samedov, Alexander Tashaev, uh, Zherkov, who you already mentioned, and Roman Zobnin. So, Andrew, let's let's talk Cherishev, because this is a name that's been spoken about for a long time. I think we even spoke about it before the yeah. Euros. I seem to remember doing that squad selection on this, yeah. probably with you and Toka. And he's been finally brought into the folds. So There's certainly an interesting, interesting selection there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely not one I'm against. The it's actually for once I'm going to criticise Chichesov's timing because I've actually been a fan of how he's how he's well, I'd say revolutionised the squad since he took over. But Cherisha has, has barely been given any time at all um, before now, and I I think he deserves a chance simply because he's playing in a in a top league, and okay, he's not always had game time over the whole last five six years, but. He is starting, as far as I understand, at least, playing a lot more for Villarreal. Um, and I think he offers something different. I mean, he is a, he, he might not fit into a 5-3-2 naturally. That's my only concern. Um, but, you know, I'm sure Chichesov is aware that he will have occasions where he will need to be more flexible depending on the circumstances. He may need to throw on a match winner maybe take out centre-back and throw on Cherishev later in the game if he wants to push further forward, Cherishev could off- offer that. But it's just his, it's just how little he's played for the national team and how little time in the last 18 months in particular. So um, I, I know this is going against what I've just said, but I'm not sure I would have him in the squad just simply because I'm not sure how he would, how he would fit in. Um, I think Russia work best by getting the best out of their central midfielders, of which they have plenty of talent and youth. Um, but to fit them in, it leaves a bit of a gap for, well, it doesn't leave a gap for Churyshev. So personally, I, I, I wouldn't take him. Although long term, I would like to see him being given more of a chance. And what are your thoughts on Churyshev here, Toka? I think it, it's very true what Andrew says, that he doesn't really fit the, the system. Uh, and I think that explains, of course, also why he hasn't really been that involved in the past. It's also a bit problematic. He hasn't played that much this season compared to earlier. I think he has played less than a thousand minutes in in, in the Liga. Uh, that's of course that that's simply not enough if you want to sorry, sorry. to go to to the World Cup. Um, but but he has this he has this international class. He has proven himself in the Liga. We have seen him score against Real Madrid. We have seen him do a lot of good things in the past. So I definitely think he should be involved in the national team. And I think he is he should be an important part of the of the future for this team as well. So I think it's 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 the right 
decision to include him in the squad. Also because he has some, he has some, he has a skill set that very few of these Russian players have. I mean, he is a classic winger. He he can take a man on. He can score. He can assist. Not among among these uh, Russian players. So so I think he he gives the squad some some X factor. Some uh, so he can create something from nothing, and I think that's very important. So. I definitely include him in the squad because he is he is a rare player and he is the kind of player that Russia doesn't produce a lot of. Yeah, just some stats on Cherishev, by the way. You mentioned that he doesn't have a thought. Yeah, he's got 920 minutes in La Liga, mostly off the bench, of course. So 24 appearances total, two goals, including one in his uh, last game against Deportivo, uh, five in Europa League, and then three Copa del Rey appearances. Um, looking at other areas of the squad here, Andrew, I mean, we've talked a lot about central midfield. Let's go on a bit of a positive now. Let's look at somebody like Alexander Golovin. How... This is really his time to shine, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm just, uh, I'm just actually in awe of how he is still only 21 years old. Um, he feels like he's been around for such a long time, but mostly because he's just, he has so much maturity and confidence. Um, if you watch him on the ball, I, I seriously, seriously think that he could, he could walk into most, most teams. Um, almost around the world, maybe other than the very, very top bracket, simply because of the scale of occasion. Um, but I, I really think Arsenal, of course, were interested in him um, early this season, even. Um, I was at a press conference when Arsenal played Tisca in the Europa League, and Arsene Wenger uh, was, well, coy, shall we say, about the interest in him. Certainly didn't deny it. Um, Golovin is just, uh, I think he's absolutely fantastic. And I think he will be the, pretty much the key player for Russia in this tournament because they're going to need someone of his ability to get counter-attacks moving forward quickly because they won't, Russia are not going to have, they're not going to dominate possession in every game. Certainly some, but not all. Um, and Golovin's just the absolute master of that. So I, I cannot wait to see how good a tournament he has and how much people sit up, take notice that, there is quality in the Russian league, and top of that pile, Golovin. And Toka, I mean, just a few thoughts uh, about Golovin from you, and then any other sort of because we mentioned Cherish. Have any sort of other odd picks that you'd like to pick out in that midfield? I think this is um, this should be a very interesting World Cup for especially for Golovin because he. I mean, it's. I don't want to say it's make or break for him because even if he even if does, Russia doesn't play that well, he'll still be an incredible talent and everything, but. But this is it, this is a very exciting time for him and a very exciting time for all of us because I'm really looking forward to watching him. Uh, we have all read all the rumors about him in the past, all the big clubs watching him, and I think he has proven that that he deserves to move to a bigger club. He was fantastic against Arsenal, for example, uh, especially in the game in Moscow where where he where he almost let Siska back in in the in the tie. Um, so this this is very interesting, and if he performs well. The, the doors could open to a lot of good clubs for him. Um, and then we'll just have to see if, if he dares to take the step. I mean, that's that's what many of of the other players have failed to do. But 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 it, it'll be very interesting to see him. It's, I also like the inclusion of uh, Anton Midunchuk. I think maybe he's not on World Cup level yet. I, I have a feeling he might, be, he might be cut from the squad. But just seeing him in the squad shows that th- this is a young guy who has developed a lot over the past year. I mean, he's gone from being on loan in Estonia to now winning the championship and 
and being close to the World Cup, I think that's an incredible development he's gone through. We have always known that he, he was talented, maybe not as talented as his uh, brother, but still a very talented player. And now he, he has shown that. And, and, and I think it's, 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 very, it's very brave of, of uh, Chetushev actually to, to include someone like him because there are more experienced players out there who, who he could have taken, like some safe choices. But, but he, has, he has taken Anton Bidenchuk and, and I think that's, uh, that should be praised. Um, and yeah, the the future is is, is really interesting with the Bidenchuk brothers, with Golovin and and for example, still Chakov is is relatively young as well. So, Roman Sapnin. Um, so I, I like this Russian midfield a lot. I think especially centrally, there's so many there's so many good options, and uh, Chetushev really has some thinking to do. But but he can ex- assemble a, a really intriguing team on this midfield. So, Andrew, I mean, we talked about the strength of that midfield and just I know you're a big fan of uh, Kuziaev. I'd like a few thoughts from you on him and actually whether he'll fit into that midfield three. We assume it's going to be a three. So what would your three be then in that case? And actually, who's going to get cut from this midfield? Oh, you know, that's that's a tough one, really. Um, I am a big fan of Kuziaev. And if um, I mean, if he doesn't make the final 23, then just really has lost all my faith that I put in him the last few months. But um, honestly, I, I'm on a knife edge whether Kuzayev will, will make it. I think he possibly won't. What I've been very surprised at is quite how low-key the news was about Glushikov's injury and then the subsequent lack of surprise at him not being in the initial 28. I find that absolutely astonishing. Um, some people somehow trying to claim that Glushikov's had a, a poor season just because he's not hitting in long ranges like Fernando is every week or like he himself did last season. He's still, in my opinion, the best commanding central midfielder leader in the middle. So for me, Glushkov should be starting. It's not really much of a question there. Um, the problem is who goes alongside him. Now, I would, I would probably play Alexei Miranchuk behind Smolov um, uh, up front. Um, and and I would have, oh Christ! You've got, obviously, got to have Golovin, uh, and I can't leave Zagorov out. So, um, it, it's look. I mean, if we're talking about who Chichesov will pick, not who I want, but who I think Chichesov will pick, um, I hope I hope he'll go for Kuzov. Um, Glushkov should be in there, but I know he, I know he's a reserve, um, but uh, I, I just can't understand why. I just don't get it. So midfield three to answer your question, I'll go with Kuzov, um, Golovin to Goyev, but um, possibly Zobnin will get the nod ahead of Kuzov, and I wouldn't be I wouldn't be disappointed with that either. Both quality players. I mean, Toka Andrew there talks a lot about Glushkov, and quite rightly, sort of that was that was an odd omission, I, I think, as Andrew says, and also just again, you're you're three for that midfield. Yeah, it was definitely. A very strange decision. I think we, we I praise this midfield a lot. There's so much quality, but the strange thing for me is that most of these players are all they're all offensive minded. I mean, we don't have that classic holding midfielder. Uh, despite Lokomotiv winning the league, Chatushev didn't call up either Tarasov or Igor Denisov. Uh, Denis Kloshikov could also play as sort of the holding midfielder. The deep lying midfielder is is a reserve, so. I'm a bit worried it's it's almost too offensive on this midfield because I don't see... I, I would have to pick Tsakoyev as the deep-lying player, the player who's who's the brain on the midfield, who take this decision. But but still, I think 
this Russian midfield really needs sort of an, an enforcer, uh, a garbage man to, to, to make the difficult decisions and break the, the opponent when they have the ball. But, but there's really no obvious choices for this. I mean, you could use Yuri Kaczynski, but he hasn't really played that much in the national team and, and he's not on that higher level. Uh, but but based on the players he has called up, I would say Tarkoev, Golovin, and uh, yeah, I think it would be Kushayev, as, as Andrew said as well. Ruben Sabnis is a fantastic player, but he hasn't played that much due to his injury, so he's probably not completely ready for the World Cup. Um, so yeah, those three, all playing at a, at a high level, playing at big clubs, and also playing regularly in Europe, which of course is, is an advantage because they know what it's like when you're meet top-class opponents who play at a much higher pace than what you meet in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, Tucker, I think Zagoyev, just talking from a personal point of view, I mean, I, I, get, I mean, we all know why Denisov isn't there, had the fallout with Chechsov, that's all very, very well documented. But I think Zagoyev has played that deeper role for Siska on occasion, so I think that, that will probably be what happens. And I'm not sure I'd be totally against that, but I totally get what you say about that lack of enforcer. That is, that is the worry there. I suppose they think... With the five at the back against the more difficult teams like Uruguay, for example, they will just really sit in that bank of five, then the bank of three. I don't think in the Uruguay game, whoever three is in the field will have much license to go forward. But um, let's talk about the forwards now. We've got four in the selection here on the official list. We've got Fyodor Chalov, uh, Artem Zuba, Alexei Miranchuk. We talked about his brother Anton earlier, of course. And then Fyodor Smolov, of course, who was always basically first name on the team sheet. So, Andrew... Lack of options is what really strikes me here. Well, yes, Kokorin's injury was a big, big blow because I think he and Smolov could have been a really classy partnership, or at least in the same lineup. Exactly how they would have lined up, I don't mind because they're both quality. But Smolov picks himself, of course, so the question is who goes alongside him. Um, now, I, I would argue somebody behind him might be slightly behind him might be of more value than just sticking to up top. Um, a lot of noise has been made about Artem Juba's recent form, but, I mean, it, he has got the form, and for that reason, I think, okay, he deserves to be in the squad, but, and he is an option. There's no point getting around it if you have a big physical presence up front. You know, even the, even the best nations have one. Uh, Giroud for France, for example, springs off, off the head. Um, so I would like to see somebody somebody with intelligence on the ball um, playing playing behind Smolov so that he doesn't end up getting isolated. Because the worst thing that could happen is you could understand caution, especially against Uruguay, I'm expecting. Um, uh, you know, so playing one man up front and maybe four in midfield is not what I want to see, but if you want to be solid, fair enough. But one of those four has to be a link between Smoloff and the midfield. Otherwise, Smoloff is wasted. He's not going to be getting on the end of crosses into the box. And if nobody's there behind him linking up play, what's he going to do with the ball? So alongside him, like I mentioned earlier, I would have, I would have Alexei Mirancuk as a, as a link between midfield uh, and Smoloff. Um, he's played further forward for Lokomotiv quite a lot this season. So I think he could fit into that sort of system fairly comfortably. That would be my first choice. Um, you know, with an option of Juba off the bench in you know, 20, 30 minutes, you need somebody to soak up pressure. Fair enough. But first choice, Miranchuk and Smolov for me. Would you would you go along with that um Toker with that the sort of the cl- let's call him the clever man, they call it the number ten of course, in bet- in behind Smolov 
do you think there's a we talked a lot about the midfield but they don't tend to be that sort of attacking midfield if you like but, but Miranchuk of course as Andrew says could play that role yeah and Miranchuk has played as sort of a deep lying striker a, a, a hidden striker for locomotive this seasons as well and and he he is a very dangerous man up front he Finally, he has he's grown into a player who takes responsibility. He's good at finding the open rooms. He's good and good at attacking the penalty box. Um, so I would completely trust him, and I hope to see him get a lot of playing time at at the World Cup. Um, but I have to go with you. But I think he he's been really good this this spring. And as Andrew said, there's there's not that many goal threats in this Russian starting lineup. I mean, Chakoyev and Golubin are not players who score a lot of goals. So having, I like the idea of having Chuba and and uh, small of us up front, especially because Chuba is a striker who has performed at this high level before. I mean, let's not forget that it's only a few years ago since he scored, was it like six goals in the Champions League group stage, and I think him and small of fits each other very well. I mean, they have a different skills. We have Chuba as the very physically strong striker, and and then we have small of as as the more agile and dynamic striker. So I think they could form a really good partnership. It's just a shame that we haven't seen them do this a long time ago. I mean, these two should have been the first choices for the last three years, something like that. But due to injuries at Schubert and a lack of form from his part as well, I mean, they haven't formed that lethal strikership yet. And that's that's a shame. Um, and that, that that's the only thing that worries me. That's the fact that they haven't played together that much. But but I, I definitely go with Chuba and Smolov up front. I, I think Russia need two real strikers to be really dangerous, especially with... We know this Russia team really likes to go through the wings and, and get a lot of crosses in. And then just having Chuba in the, in the boxes, I mean, that's that's the perfect combination. And especially because Smolov is also really good in, in the air. But if he... I think we have often seen that when he's too alone, it's difficult for him. It was also the case with Krasnodar, I, I think, this spring, where he wasn't really that dangerous. He was too much on his own, and then too much depends on him on making brilliance. And I mean, he's a good player, but 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 he's not Lionel Messi, so he needs some help. And and I think Schubert can provide him with that. Just uh, just before we finish off the squad and actually obviously the strikers, um, Andrew, quick few thoughts on Fyodor Chalov because he spent a lot of sort of the mid-season, if you like, on the bench and then he's hit a massive rich vein of form. I think it's six goals in his last seven games or something like that in the Premier League. Mm. Scored a hat-trick against uh, Arsenal Tuller, of course. What I mean, he's a good option off the bench, but my only fear is, is he cut out for this level? Well, I, I have a huge amount of faith um, in Chalov and I, I'd say... I'd say arguably he is simply be. I mean, I say not as a first choice striker. He's not quite ready for that yet. Um, but I think he's got the he's got the quality um, in in the intelligence, the way he moves, um, the way he finishes. Um, he he offers he offers a an option in some ways similar to Smoloff in that sort of natural ability. But he's he's got a confidence for a young man. Um, now I I cannot understand. Honestly, I cannot understand why Viktor Gontrenk has largely ignored him when he's desperately needed a striker at times this season. I know, I know, a lot of our writers have pointed out that Chalup has played something like was it 23 games before he scored his first goal, but those weren't games; they were appearances. Um, most were off the bench, and I don't think he played more than two games consecutively from the start until he hit his goal-scoring run of form. 
that for me isn't faith. Um, you know, he had a, a very good season last season, scored, was it, f- I think it was about five or six goals at the end of last season as well. And I thought, well, this is an option for Tisca. And at times they put Ponce's firm bloom up front. Um, and it just, I mean, yes, Ponce is a good enough player to, to play that role, but we need him more in midfield. So um, Chalif in the squad, great learning experience for him. I hope he gets some game time. And and if he could if he could have one good performance, two good performances, and it will show he's cut out for international football, his career really could turn into something. Um, if his career is wasted, it would be an absolute travesty as far as I'm concerned, because he really is a very talented player. So I expect he will get game time, and we'll see the best of him. Yeah, there was a photo on social media actually. I think I saw yesterday of, uh, of at the training camp in uh, Novgorod. I think they are at the moment of Chalaban Golovin stood together, and it was sort of like, oh, it's the the future of Russian football. And I thought, let's just let's just calm down a bit. But yeah, it's like you said, him and Golovin, you know, really good opportunities for them. Not just this World Cup, but of course their their future careers. So let's just go over the seven reserve players then, actually, who are who are sort of in line to come in if something goes wrong. So that's uh, Glushkov, who we've already mentioned in midfield. Uh, Guilherme, the goalkeeper. Uh, Ignatiev, the uh, loco defender. Kambarov, the Spartak defender. Then Polos and uh, Zabalotny, the fours from Zenit. And uh, Schwetz from Grozny. So just, just to take you through the games, by the way. Uh, Uruguay, we've spoken about quite a lot. That's the last game. That's on the 25th of June. Of course, the opening game of the World Cup, Russia involved in. That's uh, Russia versus Saudi Arabia. Then, of course, they play Egypt. So the, the Saudi Arabia game is on the 14th of June. Then they play, uh, that's nine days later on the 19th against Egypt. Then six days later against Uruguay. So let's get on to a few host cities now. Because, of course, fans going over, what not quite sure what to expect if they've never been to Russia before. And, Andrew, you are sort of the key man here. We've If you've if you follow Andrew on Instagram, by the way, uh, Andrew, you can give yourself a little plug for your Instagram page and your Twitter and whatever here, because you've been to quite a lot of the uh, the host cities recently. So let's let's go over. Let's nice open question first. Which do you think is the most impressive city? And oh, actually, before you go on to that, Andrew, there is a I think uh, Toker, am I right in thinking the the host cities have been ranked on uh, the Russian Football News website? There's a there's a piece on that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have uh, pieces on coming on all the host cities so if there's anything you need to know about one of the cities just go to russian football news and there in the top menu you can read about saranish Nishinovgorod, whichever city you want to know about you want to learn more about and and get to know about the history of the city the football history the football teams everything you really need to know to 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 have a good time at the world cup or just learn more about the host cities and the, and the stadiums of course so let's come back to this then, Andrew. What would you say was your favourite city on your travels? Because I think you, I think you've been to most of them. There's a, there's a couple you haven't been to, but you have been to all but about two or three, I think. Yeah, I was. Well, I was supposed to be going to Rostov before the airline decided to tell me at the check-in desk that they hadn't confirmed my ticket. So I had to rearrange plans there, unfortunately. But now I, I've actually, I genuinely have enjoyed all of the cities. I think they all have a different character to offer. Um, but I, I think the one that left the biggest impression on me was Volgograd. Um, so England will be playing there against Tunisia for their first game. Um, the thing I liked, well, there are lots of things I liked about Volgograd, but it's a, it's a very big city, but it's laid out in a simple way. And it's all about the embankment by the, the river Volga, which is just laced with history. Um, the city does its memorials very tastefully. There's the enormous um, Motherland Corps statue which is literally a few hundred metres from the stadium itself. 
um, some of the buildings that were bombed and affected in, in the Second World War have been maintained exactly as they were. Um, the embankment area is just full of just really interesting, imaginative cafes and restaurants, lots of social areas and green parks. So I'm full of full of admiration for, for Volgograd. Um, I would actually just mention briefly a little quick shout out for Saransk because Saransk is, a, is the smallest city that will be hosting the World Cup. It's not the easiest to get to. But once you're there, it is absolutely stunning. And you can walk around within an hour and, you know, you can see the World Cup stadium and the old stadium, the small river, all from the top of the hill um, and a lot of history in the city, too. So Volgograd is my favourite. Um, and But it's very hard to choose. They all have their own charms. Quick story about Volgograd, by the way. I went there, I think it was 2012, I think it went there, April. It was very hot. I took coat thinking it was going to be cold. It was absolutely boiling. Anyway, we're on a tram. And obviously, you know, Andrew, you've been there. It's a very long city. And there, we went to some uh, tractor factory in the north. My dad's a bit of a history buff, and he wanted to see sort of where they built the, the tanks in the war. And uh, we got on this tram, and there was this, this sort of old babushka sort of as the conductor. And she realized her English eyes spoke to her in Russian or whatever, asked her when to get off this tram. And she just went, my friends. And then she was just calling us our friends the whole way. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I agree. Volgrad, fantastic city. Um, let's think about a couple of the others that people might not have heard of, particularly. Um, you've been to Nizhny Novgorod, I think. Am I right? Yes. Yes, Nizhny Novgorod was the latest I went to. Um, and actually... Uh, well, again, I mean, I'm being English. I'm interested in where the England fans will be, and they they have the game in against Panama. There, um, it's one of the easiest cities to to get around. Again, it's a very big city, but there's the old town by the Kremlin, which is which has got a lovely pedestrian street and lots of, if you like your history, there's a monument to a famous aviator who pioneered flight in the 1930s um, for Nizhny Novgorod. Um, and then it's one tram stop over over the river uh, to the stadium and the stage, train station where a lot of fans are coming from. That's 20 minutes walk from the stadium. Um, quite a few good little bars around the stadium as well and restaurants. Um, and it's a very clean city. So initially Novgorod probably would be very high up my list as well. So that's certainly uh, certainly an interesting one. And it's very close to Moscow as well, only about 400 kilometers or so. So if you're going by train, it won't take you very long. And if you're flying, you'll be there in uh, an hour, probably less than that. So, again, very, very high up the list. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to, I know we're English language and I, I didn't mean to do this, but I was going to ask you about Kaliningrad next. Yeah, well, yeah, Kaliningrad is um, it's a very unusual city for me. I, I, you, arrive, you arrive at the airport and you drive for 10, 15 minutes, completely featureless landscape. The outskirts are filled with you know, old abandoned Soviet blocks of flats, and you think, what on earth have I come to? Then you get to the centre, which is, well, you can see the, the German character of it, being Königsberg before, um, and there is the cathedral where Immanuel Kant is buried. The waterfront area is just absolutely lovely. Um, and it's a small city. Again, you can walk pretty much most of the way around. Um, some uh it's it's naturally set up the stadium for being secure because it's pretty much on its own little island um with almost nothing else on that plot of land so it should be a relatively safe environment which i think is an important point to 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 make really 
the security at most of these World Cup cities will be very good, not just because of policing, but the way the stadiums have been planned and organized, there is a lot of sense to it. Uh, and Kaliningrad is one of those. So um, is Kaliningrad is going to be one of the host cities to do a bit of exploring if people go there. And I would say on foot, don't get any buses or trams or taxis, just walk around. Um, a very, very pleasant city. So I enjoyed that a lot. Just uh, another quick story, actually, <laughs> that I'm going to bore the listeners with, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, and actually, you talk about Kaliningrad, don't get the buses. Actually, I, I would say the opposite, Andrew, because if you can go get a bus or a train up to the Coronian Split by the Lithuanian border, there's a beach there. It's one of the most beautiful beaches I've ever seen. It was absolutely deserted. It was it was fantastic. But a quick story about Kaliningrad, very quickly, that I'm going to bore everyone with. But if you, Andrew talks about the waterfront there, I think there's a sub, there's a maritime museum, there's a submarine there. Anyway, uh, again, my dad and I, we'd been there, and um, we'd been to this submarine museum, and then we're just walking back to the to our hotel, we're quite tired, because uh, we'd just arrived that day, and this man said, oh, do you want to come and take a cruise on the boat? We're like, oh, yeah, we'll come in. And he was like, yeah, there's free tea, coffee, whatever, we got on. And, oh, my God, the comfiest seat I've ever sat on was on a 100-ruble cruise in Kaliningrad. It was just so. It was just sat in it, and it was just like sitting in heaven. It was just relaxed back, and I fell asleep about three times on this cruise. We were meant to be taking the sights, really nice sort of German. Um, you know what I mean, Andrew, where they've got that German village there, haven't they? Because obviously the history with it being Königsberg. Yeah. But it's uh, comfiest seats I've ever been on. So go on a cruise on the uh, around Kaliningrad, hundred rubles or so, and you'll sit on the comfiest seat you'll ever sit on. But Toka, I want to come to you on these cities now. A lot of cities that people people won't be focusing on this one so much, but I'm really excited about this city, and that's Samara, because obviously we see Krilia, and they're quite, you know, Samara is known as the football mad city. So let's sort of explain to the listeners why that is. Yeah, that's um, that's a very good point, actually, because Krilia is, is, is one of few teams outside of, of Moscow and St. Petersburg who actually have had a very good attendance for a very long time. I mean, they're crazy about the, the team. And that's despite the fact that Krilia, if we are completely honest, have been quite awful. I mean, they had a few good seasons in the in the past, this, this millennium. Um, but generally, they are like a yo-yo team going up and, and down between the Premier League and the FNL. But still, they, they, they managed to get about more than 10,000 spectators on average. And... They have some. They have some really good showing. There's a lot of passion in that city, and now seeing them move to a new new stadium after the World Cup. I mean, I think there's some potential there. I don't expect Krilia to go up and and qualify for the Champions League or anything. But the fact that they, a club like them, which has so much history and such a loyal fan base, gets a new stadium, I mean, that's that's where that advantages of the World Cup really comes in, in my opinion. I mean, it, it's not Saransk, it's not Kaliningrad, where the local support for the team is is quite limited, but in a, in a city like Samara, where the local support is, is is huge, then I mean there's a lot of potential, and it, it'll be great to see them in the new stadium, and it, it looks stunning as well. So that that's I think that's something to keep an eye on in in the next in the next upcoming years, how Krilia develops and and how this new stadium hopefully hopefully helps the club and and increases the attendance and maybe even get them closer to the top of the league and give them a lot of potential. So I, I think that's really interesting. Am I right in thinking they sold out their, their, their opening match at the, at, the Samara, at the Cosmos Arena, Samara? It was the, I think it was the second game. Um, the, the first game had like the limited attempts, but they sold out, I think it was the 6th of May. They were playing Kuban, I may have been. Um, but it was, yeah, they did, they did sell out. I was there two days before that. Um, 
and the, the stadium was miles from being ready um, because half the gates weren't even built, but the ones that were um, certainly coped. And it did look incredibly impressive inside, I have to say. Right, chaps. I, I mean, I could talk about forever for the World Cup, and actually this chat has got me so... I'm just eager. Just get me to the airport now and get me on the plane. I want to go. Get me there now. But I, I think I might burst if I get any more excited. So I think we should draw an end to the podcast there. So, I mean, thank you. Actually, Andrew, um, before we draw an end to the podcast, uh, slightly off topic, while we've got you here, let's have an honourable mention for the Predictions League. And, of course, we've got a little p- potential time with the World Cup there. Yeah, absolutely. The, yeah, the Predictions League is our third Predictions League. Toker, of course, won the inaugural, inaugural edition two years ago. Um, and it was very close, actually, going into the last week. Um, our writer, Richard, and Paul Curry were separated by one point. Um, but Paul Curry won um, with, I think he got an average of just over six points a week, which doesn't sound like much, but it is a very impressive score. So, yeah, Paul won the Predictions League. Um, we had the Predictions Cup as well, uh, which was won by Johnny, Johnny McKenna. Um, so, if anybody's played any of the Predictions games, um, the Predictions Cup, we played for we played for cash prize. So, Johnny won uh, 55 euros. So, it's well worth entering. And we'll, we'll be creating a World Cup Predictions League in the next week or so. So the next newsletter that goes out, sorry, it's a bit late this week as well. But the next newsletter that goes out, I'll be um, explaining how to enter that. And it'll be a lot of fun. Um, so get involved with that, certainly. And lovely stuff. And uh, Toko, as I like, as I, when you're generally on the web podcast, I like to ask you about sort of recent pieces that you'd like to highlight and anything uh, that you'd like to highlight coming up on the website. Yeah, there are a lot of interesting, both coming and, and also published in the last few days. Of course, the big thing right now, apart from the World Cup, is we still have two games left to play in the Premier League. We have the promotion relegation playoff games, the return legs. But also yesterday, Friday, that is, we, we published a really interesting interview done by uh, our writer Ilya, who uh, interviewed one of Russia's leading tactical analysts and talked about what made Lokomotiv so successful this season. Of course, they won the league and how Yuri Semen basically did this. So I think that's something everybody should go in and read because it's it's really interesting. Uh, there's some tactical aspects and team management. There's, there's a lot of interesting insight into this locomotive team that really took us all by surprise this season. Um, perfect. And just to highlight the social media for everybody, we are at Russ Football News on Twitter, uh, Instagram as well, at Russ Football News, uh, Russian Football, I think I said Russian Football Nude then, sorry. <laughs> Russian Football News, obviously, on Instagram. Uh, Russian Football News on Facebook. That's where the predictions legal happen, so do keep an eye on that. Um, Andrew, just uh, where, how do we subscribe to the, the newsletter if we haven't already? Um, yeah, just head to the Facebook page and send us a direct message saying you'd like to be added to the newsletter and drop in your email address and we'll stick you on the mailing list and you'll get the next, next edition. Perfect stuff. And uh, just for personal social media, um, I'm Thomas underscore Giles underscore UK. Uh, that's on Twitter. And um, Andrew, because we've spoken quite a bit, I, you didn't take my opportunity to promote yourself with your travels. I think you should do so now. Yeah, so I'm on I'm on Twitter at Andrew M-I-J Flint. And on I have a YouTube channel as well. Um, so if you search for... Uh, Andrew Flint on YouTube, you'll find my channel there. So I'll be going through Russia on, during the World Cup. So I'll put some videos up from places I visit there. Um, perfect. And Toka, your, uh, your, your various social media channels. 
Yeah, I'm uh, I'm limited to Twitter, so you can find me at uh, Toki. That's T O K E T H E I L A D. Perfect. So I, I, have to, I have to warn you, there's there will be a lot of pub Russian football, so don't follow me on, unless you're into this kind of stuff. Well, I think if people have listened to, I think we're on 56 minutes recording time now. So I think if people have pursue, per, persevered through 56 minutes of Russian football, then I think they'll be interested in your channel, Toker. I don't think you need to be worried about yeah, that. Yeah, I think I think we can assume that. Yeah, and uh, and again, if they uh, if they are subscribers to the podcast, if you are not subscribed to this podcast, do do that. Uh, I'm sure you can do that on iTunes and your various podcast channels. So like Toker says, if you are interested in Russian football, do follow all our social media both personal and, of course, the website. Do keep checking out the website, russianfootballnews.com, and, of course, uh, subscribe to this podcast and perhaps uh, spread it to your friends and everything. We're having to get a bit of a... Uh, gain a bit more coverage during the World Cup and we'll have lots of coverage throughout the World Cup, which I'm sh- which I'm not sure has been totally finalised, but we will, of course, uh, get any deta- any remaining details about our World Cup coverage to you as soon as we have it. Do sign up to the newsletter, of course, as Andrew says through the Facebook page. Quick direct message and that's fine. Uh, anyone who's going to the World Cup need advice on uh, travelling and things like that, do go to the, uh, the website. And um, you can, as Toka says, there's information about all the host cities. And of course, if you contact one of our writers personally on Twitter, I'm sure they will be more than happy to help you out. Uh, we've got a lot of experienced writers who spent a lot of time on the ground in Russia in, in pretty much all of the host cities, I think, and or at least have some contacts and things like that. So we can definitely let you know about that. So again, uh, thank you for listening to this podcast, RussianFootballNews.com. Subscribe to this podcast. Thank you, and we will see you in a couple of weeks. Идет футбольный матч, летит на поле мяч.